Good morning, everyone. This is Dr. Patricia Bay, and you are tuning in to Therapy in a Nutshell here at KCNR 96.5 FM, 1460 AM. We are live in the studio today, and if you have questions or comments, you are welcome to call in at area code 530-605-4567. I am super excited about this show today. My very special guest, who's sitting right across from me, is here to share some really cool stuff. His name is Ryan O'Callaghan. I'm sure many of you out there know who he is. He's famous. and he's, yeah. yeah. He's going, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. I'm going to tell you a little bit about who Ryan O'Callaghan is. And this is really cool because, um, for, <laughs> I'll tell you why, he's... An NFL, a retired NFL player. He was from Redding, California, went to Enterprise High School, played on their team. He was drafted by the Patriots and played for six seasons in the Patriots and then in the, oh, the name just flew out of my head. Chiefs. The Chiefs. Thank you. Thank you. Kansas City Chiefs. And it's so cool for me to be sitting here with him because I am so not a football person. Not at all. And it's just neat. To get to know this man and have gotten to know him over the last couple months as we've been talking, and to have him here to share such a cool message that he has. Ryan O'Callaghan has written a book, and it is wonderful. It's actually a beautiful book. When I read it, I was very moved by it because as a, this book is vulnerable, it's brave, it's honest, and he tells his story with such candor and such bravery that you can't help but learn the lessons that he's teaching in the book and it is so very very cool so he's going to tell you some of his story today and we are going to really look at the therapeutic lessons that are in ryan's book and what that is doing for us i think you ryan you are helping so many people far more than you even know so say hi to everybody and talk some tell us a little bit about you yeah hi everybody thank you for uh, tuning in today um yeah like she said my name is ryan o'callaghan i grew up here in redding california and i'm best known for playing football i went to the university of california berkeley mm-hmm. um where i won the morris trophy all pac 10 i did really well then i ended up getting drafted by the new england patriots in 2000 Six. Six. And mm-hmm. I played six years in the NFL. My story is unique because I never loved football. I mm-hmm. still don't love football. Mm-hmm. But I was hiding a secret my whole life, and I thought that football was my best way of hiding. hiding. Mm-hmm. Um, so I played six years in the NFL, and after I retired, I came out of the closet. That was something I never planned on doing. Mm-hmm. My whole life... I had it set in my mind that I was going to play football as long as possible. Use that, you know, in the gay community, you call that a beard. Typically, it's the female you date to, mm-hmm. to hide your sexuality. But yes. for me, it was football. And so I planned on playing football as long as possible. And I thought my family and friends would never accept me, love me, if they knew who I really was, you know, a gay man. And I thought my only option was to commit suicide at the end. And if it wasn't for the help of some trained professionals on the Chiefs and a, and a psychologist, I would not be here today. And I, that is what moves me so much, too, because you're so clear about that as you're talking about football being your beard. And I wanted to share with you, too, that, you know, I've dealt with LBGTQ communities for many, many years. They feel safe coming to me for therapy. And I'd never heard the term 
the beard. Yeah. I knew I knew how people would date a woman or you know hide that their sexuality, but I went, wow, that's a really cool term. It made such sense to me. So I learned that from your book. I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, it's very very common. I've, I've yeah yeah. Oh, it happens all the time. Yeah, I don't know how guys do it, but it's it happens. Uh, I think there's more bisexual nature in there than they say, or they yeah. really cover it up really well. So yeah. I've and I've had several that do that over the years that have talked to me about it. But you choosing to live this life so far in the closet that you, in the book, you talk about the great lengths you go to to hide who you are. And your coping skill that was in your hip pocket all the time was that if you were done with football and you didn't have your quote-unquote beard anymore, you were going to just commit suicide and you'd be done. Yeah, I I was absolutely convinced from an early age that no one would ever accept me, and and I always thought that that was my only my only option. You know, suicide. Right. Obviously, if I had given up all hope at one point, I, I would have just shot myself like I planned on doing, and I was just thrown in the towel. But I don't know what I was waiting for along the line, some glimmer of hope or something. But um, to me, and you know, I don't know how it is for other depressed suicide people. I always had. You know, call it an option to just end it. You know, if right. something happens, I can just end it. And it's a tough transition going from hating yourself, I can just kill myself, it's no big deal, to learning to love yourself and, and taking that option off the table. It, it took me quite some time, even after I came out, to realize, okay, I got to make this work. Yeah, you have work to do. Yeah. Once you rip off that cover, you've got to say, now what do I do? Yeah. And I love how. You really get that. It's so cool to talk to somebody who has, you can see the growth that they've done. So you went from hiding, being depressed, always thinking when things got bad, I can just kill myself and I will be, that's my end result. So I don't have to worry too much. And the the other part in your book that's so powerful is you suffered many many injuries. I, I mean, every time you would describe one of your injuries, I'd be like, oh, <laughs> it was, he's very graphic about it in the book, and you know exactly what his injury was. But you were in severe chronic pain, and you were playing these horrendous games of football as an offensive lineman with horrendous injuries. Yeah. And so in that, you also got addicted to opiate painkillers. Yeah, so I, I was introduced to painkillers, obviously, from, from injuries starting in college. I, mm-hmm. I had a total of what, six shoulder surgeries, a hand surgery, a bunch of other injuries. That, so I was no stranger to painkillers, but I didn't start abusing them until later in my, in, in my football career. And, you know, for those of you who haven't taken painkillers, they give you this euphoric feeling in your mind that really makes you feel happier and not like yourself. And the longer my football career went on, the longer my life went on, the more I hated myself. Mm-hmm. And for that pill to make me not feel like myself, that's all I ever wanted. So, mm-hmm. you know, because of my last injuries, I started taking pills again and then quickly, quickly turned into an addict. And by the end of my career, I, I, I was a junkie. I mm-hmm. First thing I did when I woke up was, you know, crush a couple pills and take them. And, you know, every couple hours after that, just more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm lucky I had a support system there to to get off the pills in the end. Right. But it it all intermeshed with each other. You were depressed and angry and upset and you hated yourself. You were playing football to hide. You didn't particularly like football. It wasn't, you were 
super, super good at it, but it wasn't your passion of, that made your heart sing. So you did it for all those other reasons. Then you're, you're very much injured from it. It's left you with some debilitating injuries. And you end up finding something to hide in even more with the opiates. And the one part in the book that I think is fascinating is you talked about how marijuana, how cannabis really eased your pain and was not addictive for you and you weren't really drawn to it, like be stoned all the time. But the NFL tested you for cannabis and then they would call you a druggie. So you couldn't take, you couldn't smoke marijuana or eat it or anything like that because you test positive. But you could have all the opiates in your system that you wanted and not be called a drug addict by the NFL. Yeah, the, the NFL's drug testing policy is a little backwards, a little out of date. Um, obviously, they have their reasons for doing things, but, you know, they test everyone once a year for street drugs, and uh, I tested positive that one time. And so what that did was that took marijuana off the table for me. That was no longer an option to ease the pain or just be able to relax after practice. And But I had a prescription for opioids, and I could take all I wanted. Yeah. And... That's not something, be in trouble. Not be in trouble at all, and that, that's something they, they really need to need to address. And hopefully they will. And your book is helping with stuff like that. So we, we need to take a break. But when we come back, Ryan is going to talk more to us about the addiction issues, getting off of opiates, um, letting go of the coping skill of suicide. We're going to talk a little bit more about that because that's powerful for people in learning how to be different and learning to take that out of their coping skills. So we're going to go to break, and we'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty, and you're listening to the beautiful music, again, as Native American flutist. Thank you, Randy, for letting us play your music on our show. And I am in the studio with Ryan O'Callaghan, Former Native, former Native American, <laughs> former NFL football player. I'd be Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. He'd be Elizabeth Warren. That's good. He's cute. Um, but he was with the NFL for six seasons, played for the Patriots and the Kings and UC Berkeley on scholarship and just an amazing, amazing athlete. But he has such a bigger story than that, and I just love it. His book, uh, My Life on the Line, is incredible and that's what made me hook up with Ryan and start talking about what he's doing in his life and we've become friends and I just really like this guy he's nice so we're talking about his book and how he came out as a gay man in the NFL which is unusual to say the least it's unusual there's yeah. quite a few of us that play that no one knows about mm -hmm. um, you know I, I think we're getting to that time where someone will feel confident and comfortable enough with their job and their life where they will speak up before they retire. Yeah. And as society has gotten more accepting and there's in some ways less condemnation and less judgment. And then uh, every once in a while when you think society's really safe with an issue such as this, somebody gets in your face. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, we, we've made a lot of progress as a country. Mm -hmm. Um, not a whole lot's changed. There's been some steps back. I, I know, you know, not to get into politics, but there's been some things recently, like the Supreme Court's looking up to redefine sex, to be able to fire someone because they're gay and different things like that. So there's there's, there's some things, you know, two steps forward, one step back. But I think as a whole, society is coming around and, and learning to, it's not a choice and just becoming more understanding and accepting. 
Well, I can tell you, every gay person I've seen in therapy over 34 years has told me that they knew they were gay from a very young age. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I knew for sure at puberty. But even before that, I knew I was different. I just, yeah. I didn't have the little crush on the on the girl on the playground or anything. But as soon as you hit puberty and those other feelings and emotions come together, mm-hmm. you know you're, you're gay. You know, at, at first you think, okay, maybe it's temporary. Maybe this is a phase. But quickly you figure out it's not. It's not, yeah. And it's – so the idea of pray the gay away or things <laughs> like that just – well, I've actually dealt with a lot of people uh, who have severe trauma from trying to be forced to be different than who they are. Yeah. Uh, conversion therapy is dangerous. Oh, um, it's traumatic. It, it, I mean, stressful. The, the statistics for youth suicide and, and especially in the LGBT communities, you know, I, I, I'm sure I can look up the numbers, but I, I know huge. conversion therapy is – a big problem because to sit there and be told you're not right and you need to change and you're not changing and then you really feel like something's wrong with you it's just dangerous and it's not responsible when you take someone like you who was suicide was in your back pocket as i say as a coping skill for most of your life and then to have somebody begin to tell you you're not good enough and you have to change and um this is wrong and you're an abomination of some sort what does that do to somebody who already has had suicide in their hip pocket? Yeah, <laughs> to sit there and just be told over and over you're not you're not good, you're not you're not you know you're not living how you're supposed to, and you're you're basically wrong, and your whole core is wrong because trust me, just being closeted, your mind's on overdrive all the time, anyways. Mm-hmm. And then to sit there and have someone just constantly telling you that it, it's you know you just feel like you're in a hole. You just uh, it's hard enough to to come out takes enough courage to do that then if you do that and then your loved ones are like you're messed rejecting up rejecting yeah then they start rejecting you i mean that I, i'm lucky that didn't happen you know i yeah, thought that would happen and let's go there for a minute because what you expressed in the book and what you and i have talked about is that the fear of what will happen if you are authentically yourself and whatever that authenticity is it it might be gay or some sexual orientation. It, it might be that you're authentic, that you don't want to live at home anymore, or you need a divorce, or you're not living your true life is what we're talking about. And people are so afraid of the what ifs. And what if I say I'm a gay man in the NFL and I come out, what's going to happen? And one of your biggest fears was that your family would reject you. So can you tell us a little bit about how that was for you when you did come out? What did your family do? Yeah, well, what, what made me fear these things was growing up you hear different slurs out of the mouths of the people that you love and as a mm-hmm. child whether the kid says something or not they hear it right and if they are closeted or name your other thing they think you're gonna hate them just as much as you talk bad about these other people and right you know so as a child i'd hear these different things and i was convinced that you know loved ones felt the same way about me if if they knew i was also gay and so I, I took all that to heart, and even as a grown man at 29, I thought, you know, I thought about these things I heard as a kid. I was, I was convinced that they still felt that way, but quickly after it came out, I learned that these things were said out of ignorance and not hate. But So I came out to my family, which was, you know, the day I feared basically my whole life. I was, I was so worried about other people's judgment and acceptance, and that's what put me in the position I was, but you know, I couldn't have been any more wrong Um they were accepting from, you know, the first second. And yeah. They since, love you. Yeah, since then, it's gotten even better. You oh, know, okay. I used to think, oh, they were just proud because it's football. And, you know, now my dad asks about the activism or the speaking. And 
you know, it, it's it's always nice to have other people's support and acceptance. But they love you. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that. I think it's neat. Yeah. I mean, all, all my relationships are much stronger than they were when I was closeted because I could be myself. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and in your book, you do such a good job of talking about how being gay was constantly on your mind. And what was on your mind was how do I keep from saying something, doing something, walking wrong, looking at the wrong person, lingering my eyes too long on that cute guy over there? Yeah. You were constantly on edge, on guard. It's like you had your sword and your shield drawn and your bulletproof vest on all the time. Yeah, I, I was I was, I was, was paranoid. That's yeah. a great word. I mean, it's, every night at home laying in bed, I'd sit there and go over different scenarios in my head of what if this happens? How do I respond? What do I say? And mm-hmm. I... You know, I, I hate to use the word crazy, but I drove myself crazy. I was. Yeah. And, you know, but football was actually a great place to hide. I, I know it might sound silly looking at it from the outside, being a locker room with a bunch of, you know, fed athletic guys. But mm-hmm. it's a great place to hide because, you know, you're one of 100. Yeah. And you're in this big macho thing where most people are too ignorant to assume someone's gay. Right. And it worked for me. Mm-hmm. I wonder how many of them are gay and don't say it either. Well, I've no names, but I've heard from quite a few after I came out. Yeah, um, that you were brave and that they wish they could too. Yeah, and I try to talk to them and, and give them examples of success stories for other athletes who've gone on to have great careers, and mm-hmm. but also try to get them to understand the impact they would have on society as a whole if they just stood up, were honest, and mm-hmm. the amount of you know minds that they could change about things. Because you know there are quite a few areas where. People just don't understand. They're not accepting. You know, we kind of live in one of those areas for the most part. But uh, it would be great if one of these guys would come out. But I, I understand the... The hesitance. Yeah. And the fear. Yeah. And, you you know, you can't walk in their shoes for them. You can only share your own experience. And you have paved the way for many people, football players or not, because I think what people saw is that the gay part of that you came out about, you had your 15 minutes of fame. And now the book is kind of keeping that going on again. But if you hadn't written the book, if you had just came out and said it, would be like, eh, okay, Ryan O'Callaghan's gay. Now, what's on TV? Yeah, it's, no, I understand, you know, people are like, oh, what's the big deal? Just live your life, don't say anything. But, you know, I, I think people just don't want to really look too deep and understand there are still a lot of problems. You know, it, yeah. it, it didn't end with marriage equality. Right. Um, People still don't feel like they can be themselves. Kids are still killing themselves just because they're gay. Yes, exactly. And until, you know, it, it's quote-unquote normal, you know, it, it does need to be made a bigger deal than what some people want it to be. One of the things I think that's pretty beautiful is in many Native American cultures, um, for 20,000 years, for many, many, many years, they don't even have... They don't call it gay. They call people two-spirited, and they see them as beautiful. Okay. And it's never been something that was bad. It's just who they were. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, total acceptance. You can look back to the Roman times and find ancient paintings on the walls of a bathhouse mm-hmm. with you know homosexual artwork, and mm-hmm. it was totally accepted and, and normal until you know, the, the Dark Ages. I think is what really shifted that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of religion got in there and, mm-hmm. and you know inserted opinions and. I think that's kind of what led to a lot of the judgment there's been for the last hundred whatever years. I think you're right. And if we take that into a modern-day culture, there is so much nuance 
of what people believe or think or their shoulds, their gotta do's, um, their projection onto who you are as a person and how they want you to be so that they can like you or admire you. And there's, there's just so much of that that it's complicated and there's layers to it that we don't even know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I respect and encourage people, b- believe what you want. You know, if mm-hmm. you're religious, great, practice yeah, it. Go for but it. that's no excuse to be hateful or, or mm-hmm. judgmental towards others. Like, I, I just, I, for life, I don't understand that. Yeah, I don't understand the hate mongering yeah. that happens anywhere. And, in, and that's from any direction. I mean, there's a show I'm going to do next week that I call Political Derangement Syndrome. It has nothing to do with a political party. It has to do with this derangement where people think, I can tell you what's right. And I'll pick any direction you want to go. But we need to stop doing that to people. And so what you see sometimes as a gay man is this societal derangement that we know what's right and you're wrong. And and so we go back to the original issue. When you are afraid that you're not going to be accepted for who you really are, your own authentic Ryan O'Callaghan, so you live in fear, and then you want to come out and be your authentic self, but you have no idea what that's going to be like. And your coping skill that you've carried in your back pocket forever is, well, if this doesn't work out, I'll just die. And that's scary. I mean, it's scary to yeah. think I'm going to end this life that I have hopes for. Yeah, well, I, I was also convinced for a lot of the time of whatever comes next, whatever you believe, heaven, hell, whatever, had to be better than what I was living in. And that's what I kept thinking in my mind, that whatever comes next has to be better than this and, you know, how wrong I was. But, uh, you know, looking back, thinking about the things that went through my mind and, and just, you know, it, it, it's, it's almost laughable. I, mean, I understand it's a very serious topic. I lived it. But just looking back of how I thought back then compared to how I look at it now, and I just, I shake my head. You know, you know what, what was I thinking? Well, then it looked like, and you do such a good job in the book of describing the constant worry and oppression and anger and hating yourself and the thoughts that went through your mind all the time. You get such a good feel for the torturous head you had going on. Yeah, back back then, that's all I ever thought. All I ever thought about was being gay and not saying it. Right, yeah, not, I, not messing I, up. I always thought, yeah. oh, I was about to blurt it out, but like I, I never did. I, I never tried to meet God. I never did anything where anyone would ever assume for a second that I may be gay and anybody straight you know I well and look how lonely you were Ryan uh, yeah I, I, you purposely for it. yeah you purposely did not connect up with other individuals and if you were even really good friends with them like your best friends that you described in the book you didn't tell them you no. were living a life in, in closeted encased in yourself yeah I, I just I, I just had this it was I built it up so big in my head and and you know, in the book, I talk about what happened after I did come out. I mentioned my parents mm-hmm. and everything were great. You know, I did end up losing two of my best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them lived with me for quite a number of years. Totally straight guy. Everything was fine. But mm-hmm. And when I came out to him, everything was fine. But as a few months went on and I had told him, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to start telling other people. Started acting a little funny and it all, you know, it, it all blew up and... He was probably afraid people were going to think he was gay because he lived with you for so oh, long. But there was never one thing ever. So why would that bother a secure straight man? I don't understand that. Uh, you said the key word. Yeah. I, I, if we are secure in who we are, then we don't worry about stuff like that. Yeah. So it's 
he probably had some doubts about his own self-esteem, not necessarily his sexuality. He definitely had doubts about his self-esteem. Okay, and that makes a less stable, a weaker person. Yeah. And, and I'm not judging him either. I mean, he could have gotten some help and, and really used that as a window into his soul. There's a, there's a thing I talk about that is unhappiness is a call to consciousness. When we're unhappy about something, and he was unhappy about you getting ready to come out to more of the world that you were gay, it was a call to his consciousness. He could have looked deeper into himself and said, why does this bother me so much? It's not Ryan. It's me. Yeah. And so he needed some help, and that's not easy for people to get sometimes. Yeah, I I, I see that. You know, we haven't spoken since 2012. You know, yeah. I'm... I'm I'm totally fine. Like it's, it was a great friendship when it lasted. Um, would I like to hear, you know, from the horse's mouth, what really was going on in your mind? What yeah. happened? Sure. But I don't sit here thinking about it. You know, friendships, uh, what I've learned in my lifetime is friendships often have a season that they are uh, good and they need, they need to have their time and you need to let them go. Yeah. Hey, Jared, my producer is signaling me that we need to take a break. Sorry, I just got lost there. <laughs> so we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty, and you are listening to Randy McGinnis and his Native American flute music. And sitting in front of me is my guest, Ryan O'Callaghan, and we are talking about coming out and just him living an authentic life. It makes me smile. This, and you know what? To see the light on this man's face and the smile and the twinkle in his eyes, he is happy. Yeah, life. I love that. Life is a, a total 180 from what it was just what seven years ago. It's yeah. uh, I, I've been fortunate to, you know, be in a good position now with you know business wise, and I'm just able to go talk and help people and live my life how I want and be authentic, and uh, it's been very rewarding. You know, I I, I wish I would have done it years ago, um, but you know, I'm uh, I'm in a great position now, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thankful to have all the you know, love and support and be able to help others. You know, there's no accident, Ryan. I think you had to live that torturous life for a while because it catapulted you into this arena. You might have just, like, casually come out, not done much with it, um, still in the NFL, still trying not to make too much of a scene or whatever, and you wouldn't have had the momentum that you have. You have done it in such a way and so bravely and so with such vulnerability, which is what I really, really admire, that you are helping a tremendous amount of people, people you don't even know. And that's a point I want to make about the book. Uh, the name of the book is My Life on the Line, which is so, so appropriate. Yeah. That besides your offensive lineman for the Patriots and the Kings, that's not even the issue. Your life was on the line minute by minute in your head, literally, because that back pocket coping skill of I'm just going to kill myself if something doesn't work out was always sitting there. And you even came close to it. And you're very clear about that in the book. You you were within minutes. Yeah, I, I was very clear. I was preparing myself, putting myself in the least desirable position to back out of it. You know, I, I right. obviously made a good amount of money playing the NFL. And after two consecutive injuries, two years in a row at the end of my career, I knew 
football is going to be over and my plan football's over i'm over so mm-hmm. i started giving away money donating just going to vegas and spending 40 grand in a weekend just ridiculous things and trying to make it very unattractive to back out of my plan i started pushing my family away i i before I came out to my parents, it was months before I had a conversation with them. I, once again, it's ridiculous to think that, but I thought that this is distancing myself from them will in the months leading up will hurt them less. But you know that that's that's not the case. Yeah, you had a lot of thinking errors going I, on. I did, but I was also <laughs> very high on drugs and consumed mm-hmm. in my own head about about. Yeah being closeted and I just I was not thinking clearly but I I thought I was doing a good job of hiding it um you know I I think a lot of addicts think they're doing a good job of hiding it but right you know I wasn't and you know thankfully that one of the the athletic trainers on the Chiefs noticed I was acting erratically and uh discreetly pulled me in his office and you know like hey what's going on mate do you want to go talk to someone now he knew I was taking pills right I, I think in the book I talk one month alone I had nine refills from the team yeah obviously I was getting them a lot on the outside as well and getting wherever I could find them. But so he knew there was something going on, but he didn't understand why I was abusing the pills. Right. So, you know, if it wasn't for David, you know, bringing me aside and suggesting I go talk to Dr. Wilson, I, I wouldn't be here today. Right. And that all lined up, all these ducks lined up in a row to make you ready to get help. And it's so told so beautifully in the book. But the the point I want to make about my life on the line is you don't have to love football to like this book. And I, and I am the perfect example of this yeah. because my whole life, and uh, Bev and Sonny Stupik, her good friends of mine, Sonny was a football coach yeah. out at Shasta College. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're really close to me. And I have told Sonny for 30 years, football is senseless violence that should not be perpetuated. And they would always laugh. And Sonny <laughs> go, oh, Batty, you just don't get yeah. football. I go, no, you know, these guys are hurting each other. They're hurting their brains. They're breaking their bodies. Why? I, I, I agree with you more than I should admit. I mean, I just, like I said, I never love football. I didn't. I, I never yeah. loved it. Uh, I was a great cover. I mean, I respect what it takes. I know what it takes to to make it, to play, to yeah. compete. Yeah, and, most. Yeah, so I, I have appreciation for it, and I still do stuff for the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just in New York meeting with Roger Goodell last week and tried to get them to do more things and uh, help other closeted players. And yeah. So I, I have massive respect for the game and, and the organizations themselves, but you know, I, I just I I don't love it. You know, I think it's yeah. kind of ridiculous. hit each other, move a ball down a field. You know, come on. Well, but, and it, if it were just the game aspect, you wouldn't have to practically kill each other on the field. <laughs> and the and the injuries and, and there's so much research about brain damage and Alzheimer's and all sorts of stuff. With the the head injuries are tremendous. One of my one of my friends just got diagnosed with ALS. He was 29. Yeah, yeah. probably um, and TBIs have a dramatic impact he, on ALS. He uh, he only played one year. Um, in the NFL, he you know he played at Cal, uh, mm-hmm. but he was a firefighter in LA most recently. But um, just started feeling symptoms and and top of his you know he was on the top of the world. Just got married, everything's going great, and then gets hit with that. And uh, ALS is a very difficult it, diagnosis. It is, it is, and and there's a lot of problems with getting the proper drugs through. You know, they treat ALS medicine the same as they treat you know, getting a basic painkiller approved. Like, this yes. is a life-saving drug. Like The triplicate. Push it through. You don't need to. But uh, it's, it's the NFL, the whole, the whole football gig is um, quite a culture. But it's also something if you, if, you don't, if you don't consider yourself a football person, 
your book is tremendous. Yeah, here's this non-football woman reading this book going, oh, my gosh, I have to tell everybody to read this because the vulnerability, the bravery, the authenticity of who you are, the journey you take everybody into your crazy mind of what you were doing to cope, the fact that you took suicide ideology and lived with it like as your best buddy next to you, and then were able to give that up, to get clean and sober, to give up suicide as a coping mechanism, to come out as you're authentic with your sexuality, and then to go on and be around the country speaking your truth. Those are all such incredibly beautiful therapeutic issues that everybody needs to hear and needs mastery. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm glad you love the book. Obviously, don't don't judge mm-hmm. a book by its cover because it's me in a Patriots uniform. But there are, you know, I was very very honest about the book. You know, I, I think if you're going to write a, you can call it a memoir of sorts. You gotta you gotta put it all out there. There's no point of leaving stuff out and sugarcoating things. You know, obviously, I was sensitive about protecting some people and, and different things, but sure. um, I figured that was, that was the only way to go. Mm-hmm. And I, I've obviously heard from a lot of people and, and been able to reach, you know, quite a good number of people with the different media I've, I've, I've done nationally. And mm-hmm. um, the feedback has been, been awesome. And, and like you, a lot of people, you know, maybe thought it was a football book, but they got so much more out of it. And, oh, and yeah. I'm, I'm happy to Know, be able to do that. It even helped me understand what you go through as football players more because it's yeah. the world I haven't really moved in. Yeah, a lot of people have a have a kind of skewed view of what really goes on. You know, oh, yeah. Injuries, just day to day operations. You know how cheap they really are. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you don't become a billionaire by throwing away two hundred bucks every day. So, right. Um, yeah, you can you can learn quite a bit. It was fascinating, and yeah. I couldn't put it down. So it was. Well written, and it just you want to hear what happens to you next. You want to, you're you're writing this book. You're alive, and you're getting it through the whole book. He's going to kill himself any minute, and you're going, wait, something must have happened because he's alive and writing this yeah. book, and it's it's really cool. Yeah. So maybe when they make the movie, they'll add. Yeah, and, and so okay, when yeah. they make the movie, who's going to play you? Oh goodness. Uh, well, they need to get someone a lot younger because obviously it'll probably be about me. College nice NFL years, so no, it depends who. Uh, not easy either. You're six seven. Yeah, I know. You're not it's, this little guy who a lot of the good actors are little guys. I've, you know? I've been fortunate to meet a lot of these actors and stuff, and it's like I'm always looking down at them, like, wow, you are tiny and your head is giant. Like they're <laughs> really though, most of them in real life, they've got these big old heads, <laughs> and they're just they're they're tiny people. But uh, they look good on screen, though. They do, and that's it's like I'll I'll never make it in that. Just. Uh, um, well, you have to be thinking of who's going to play you because you might get a say in it. So. I, I, honestly, though, I wouldn't agree uh, to go forward with a project like that without having a good amount of say in it because, you know, yeah. the last thing I want is a, something done that's not really authentic. Right. And that, that was why I was happy to go with the publishing deal I got because I got control over the final edit. Mm-hmm. And I think that was very important because I didn't want them to force me to – elaborate or exaggerate on something or vice versa. So I've been very happy and fortunate with with the response of the book and, and what's come from it so far. I think you're doing really well with it. And it's 
it's so cool because you didn't come out to do this for the money. You came out to finally live an authentic life. Then you told your truth. Now you're living your truth. You're helping so many people. And that's how doors fly open for you. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought up the money thing. I don't make a penny from no, you don't. anything. I, I started a charity. Any money I get from speaking goes to the charity. And I don't pay myself for the charity. Any money, all the money, all of my profits in the book go to the charity. So all the money that I get from, you know, call it my sexuality, Mm-hmm. It goes right to my charity. And that I'm back sounds into the really community. bad if you think about that. Well, there's a, there's a <laughs> no, lot of people I, that. Not that no, the joke. All uh, the money he gets from his sexuality goes into his nonprofit. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I could have pocketed it. Well, as soon as I yeah. came out, I had all these different things thrown my way. But You I, are doing a beautiful thing with your foundation. And we're going, when we, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, I want you to tell everybody. I'm teasing you about that last okay, line. Okay, great. But it's, no, it's a beautiful thing that you're doing, putting all your money into the foundation. And I want you to talk more about it because that foundation is awesome. Okay, we're going to go to break. Be right back. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patricia Bay, and I'm here with my special guest, Ryan O'Callaghan. And uh, you've been, if you've been listening to the show, you know exactly who he is and that he's written a book, and he has come out as a retired NFL player who has announced that he's gay and is helping the LBGTQ community across the nation and around the world, just beginning to happen, um, just speaking out about his authenticity and his journey from hiding into... Breathing the open air. <laughs> so I want him to tell us a little bit about his foundation, which I think is awesome. Yeah. So uh, after I came out publicly, I was presented with all these opportunities, and I, I saw it as a wonderful way to give back to the community. People who, you know, could were either hiding or, or could relate to my story. And so I started, uh, I called it the Ryan O'Callaghan Foundation. Very original. Mm-hmm. Uh, the website, Yeah, the website like is R-O-F dn.org. Um, the purpose of the foundation is to give scholarships and support to LGBT students, uh, particularly athletes. And first scholarship should be next year. You know, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of logistics rules. and there's, rules. There's and a laws. lot, yeah. and, and I'm a one-man band here with the charity. I'm not, you know, I don't pay anyone or myself, and I'm just trying to keep it as streamlined as possible. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, next year should be the first scholarships, but so, yeah, I, I get approached a lot by uh, different schools around the country, companies to come speak, tell my story. You know, I, I think it's most beneficial to uh, reach, you know, people at a younger age. You know, most recently I went out to a high school in Massachusetts. They they asked me to come speak. And at 7 p.m. on a Monday night, we had about 800 kids there. Awesome. And it was awesome. Uh, the It was a very positive uh, call in an assembly. And... Uh, Parents were there, kids were there. They asked a lot of questions, very open-minded. And, um, you know, I encourage everyone, just be open-minded, ask questions. Just, uh, But don't ask questions unless you want an honest answer. So, you know, I go around speaking, and uh, locally I went to Chico State. Um, you haven't gone to any of the high schools here and ready? No, I haven't been asked. Um, we'll see. <laughs> that would be good. There is, there is a larger gay community of kids then you might know. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've spoken to some teacher substitutes, and, and mm-hmm. uh, there's plenty of openly gay kids in the schools, even openly trans. And, yeah. and you know, I know one student asked a substitute, you know, please use this pronoun. And 
all the other kids and everything were totally fine with it. You know, yeah. it's that's how it should be. It's not yeah. a big deal if someone wants to be called she, mm-hmm. call her she. It's not a big deal. There's a lot more acceptance um, than there used to be. But it means the world to someone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's great that this younger generation, uh, even, you know, especially in Reading, is, is much more understanding and, and accepting. And hopefully me spreading my story and message, you know, resonates with the older generation a bit, too. Um, you know, I think it does because they see that you don't have to go to some nasty place like I'm ashamed that my child is coming out was something that they didn't want them to. Yeah, I, I've you know, I've been lucky. I've, I've heard from quite a few parents. Um, you know, my book, I, the most, even till, I still get emails today, but like the most memorable one that sticks out to me was there was a father who had disowned uh, their child after they came out. Mm-hmm. Um, this kid was still in high school, still living at home, dependent on, you know, his father for everything. He was a child. But after the child came out, the father disowned him. Just you know, oh, my child can't be gay. And, love withdrawal. But he originally, he saw my original coming out story in, in 2017, and he sent me an email and basically said, you know, you made me look in the mirror, reconsider what I did, and I'm going to reconnect with my child. So you know, I'm, I'm happy to be able to have that kind of an impact. And I just like to encourage parents, just watch what you say. Keep yeah. an open mind. Your kid is listening. Right. Uh, you're not going to make them not gay or lesbian. Right. Um, so learn to love them, accept them, you know, tell them from an early age. You won't make somebody gay or lesbian by asking them about it. No. You won't make someone kill themselves by asking if they're suicidal. You, The honesty and the transparency is actually what saves lives. Yeah, it, it means the world to know that someone's there accepting who you are, whoever you are. Yeah. And there's no reason to not like and accept someone, especially for something they did not choose. Now, if you go murder someone, okay, I'll even judge them. But if you're just, you know, you're born that way, learn to love it. It's fine. Yeah, who you are. Yeah. You know, the, when we go back to your foundation for just a second, I love it that the way you've set up this foundation right now, unless it gets so big that you can't do it, yeah. that every single cent that you put into there goes to kids yeah. to help them make it in their lives. Um, and... There's no administration. You're not taking a salary. Um, so any donations that somebody makes to the Ryan Callahan, o- Ryan O'Callahan Foundation, know that 100% of what you donate is going to be used to help kids succeed. Yeah, and I'm, I'm very proud to be able to do that, be in a position to do that, because a lot of charities have an extreme amount of overhead and, and I just, it's the right thing to do in, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to do that. I'm going to do it for you know, as long as I possibly can. Now, if the charity yeah. takes off and I have to hire someone to run it, I'll be very honest about that too. But right. This much now, goes towards administrative yeah, And that's how charities are though. Like you, you mm-hmm. just, you know, if someone wants your books, you give them their books. It's, it's public. And, yeah. and um, I'm very cautious and aware of where the money goes and, and, uh, very thankful for every donation. I mean, it sounds cliche, but every dollar does count. Yes. And raising money is much more of a hustle than I ever thought. It's <laughs> yeah. um, easier to get one person to donate 100 bucks than 100 people to donate one buck, but uh, it, it does add up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm uh, taking advantage of all these different speaking opportunities and book sales, and hopefully big things are in the future. One thing that I think would really add to your website is a donate button. Where somebody can click on it and it takes them right to their PayPal or right to There's their like three whatever. Of them. 
Oh, I didn't find it. I've oh, just, really? It didn't open up. So okay. Because I clicked through it. I'll, I'll click through it again and make sure. And I'll make sure I check as soon as we get off air. We'll make sure that That's that an works. important button. Yeah. yeah. It, it might have just been that my phone wasn't yeah. going there or something. But I'll, I'll look. So you can go to the donate button on your foundation website. Yeah. And it's really easy to donate. Yeah. And same, same there's a Facebook page, too. All the you know, pertinent information is on there. And if anyone ever has any questions, there's a comment section on, on, the, uh, on the website. And you can send a message through the Rhino County Foundation Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Uh, your messages, they're confidential. You know, okay. if if you want to come out, talk to someone, shoot me a message. I'm a busy guy. I'll get back to you. But uh, no one else is going to see it. And, um, awesome. you know, telling one person, even though they're not going to say anything to anyone else, it helps a lot. Yeah. Well, think of how many years you went with telling absolutely no one. Yeah. And a real touching thing in your book was your relationship with your dogs. I love that. You felt safest with your dog. Yeah, they don't judge. They love you. They're always happy to see you. Um, they're still around today. And they actually were one of the reasons you never did commit suicide. Yeah. It, it's They helped you hang on. Yeah. It, it, they're, they're, they were like the one constant, uh, always look forward to seeing them, you know, the feeling, oh, they need me. Yeah. You know. Um, and they love you for exactly who you are. Yeah. And, and you know, even at the time, I, my best buddy lived with me. He was very mm-hmm. close with the dogs. They were basically ours. But mm-hmm. uh you know, I still always had that feeling, you know, I, they're dependent on me. And, right. Um, whatever it takes. Well, you know, everybody needs to be needed by someone. Yeah. We all need to be loved. And the dire loneliness that you lived with for so long is so evident in that book. Yeah. I mean, people just need to learn how to love themselves. You know, I, I get asked, how do you do that? I typically say you need to stop worrying what other people think. As soon as you stop worrying what other people think, you can focus on loving yourself. Well, that goes a long way. In the book I wrote, Therapy in a Nutshell, there's a, actually a chapter. It's chapter nine. It's called Loving Yourself. Yeah. And when I wrote that, I had to differentiate between self-esteem and loving yourself. They are two different things. Someone can have good self-esteem and still not love themselves. So when I really broke that apart and write about how do you start loving yourself, it's actually not as hard as it seems, but you've got to be able to look at it from a different light. Yeah. Also, uh, my podcast, Therapy in a Nutshell, that's on Spotify, iTunes, um, it's on the archives of the KCNR radio station. Uh, there is a podcast called Loving Yourself and gives some very concrete coping skills. So you can refer people to that's free, and it's out there to help heal people, yeah. which is what we're both about here. We're both trying doing to, a great thing. We're yeah. trying to heal people. Well, it, it, it's, I, you know, it's not like a self-serving feel good about yourself helping others, but it's, it's, it's a great thing to do. Um, you know, even if you affect one person's life, it's, I think it's all worth it. And, uh, you know, and, and just kind of summation of what we're talking about here, Ryan, I think you've saved countless lives and far more than you know. And I think you've saved countless uh, hearts, minds. You've helped people. You've, you've modeled for them. Be yourself. Love yourself. Uh, take a risk. Dive in and come out with your authenticity. Yeah. And recognize that the fear you had to come out to be an authentic person is not as bad as you feared. Yeah, it's it's... Yeah, it's it, it's rarely, rarely as bad as you think it's going to be, and I'm a great example of that. You're Plenty of people I've spoken to, it's, you know, you build this thing up in your head, and it's just not the truth. Well, and in my 34 years of private practice as a psychologist, I see all the time people are way more afraid 
of what's going to happen and what really does happen is far less. Your mind's a powerful thing. You can can be scary. Yeah, <laughs> very, very much so. Uh, yeah. Well, I just your book is a blessing and a gift to the world, and the work that you're doing, the work you've done on yourself is so evident. I just love it. Um, you're healthy. You're clean and sober. You're authentic. You're vulnerable. You're brave. Um, the smile goes all the way to your eyeballs, and I love that. But I still go talk to a therapist every month. Do I think I need to? No, but I think it's healthy. I just go yeah. talk to someone, and it's good just to air it out there. And, and I think that that's very beneficial. If someone – go talk to someone. It's not a big deal. There, there's – you know, you're not, you're not crazy if you go talk to a psychologist or psychiatrist. You know, that stigma's that's gone. I hope. I, I hopefully it's gone yeah. because it's healthy. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show today because again, you've helped a whole lot of people. So Ryan O'Callaghan and his book, My Life on the Line, go get it. It's on Audible.com. It's on Amazon, and it's it's a gift. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, you so are, much for having me. You are just a doll. <laughs> so thank you for listening to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patricia Bay, and let's all just heal the world one hour at a time. The news from Town Hall is brought to you on KCNR Shasta Reading by Shasta Regional Medical Center. Your life, your health, your